0: Keep moving. Keep moving. His car's there. Keep moving. Keep moving. His car's right there. One of
1: his cars. Our surveillance team is in place. They're outside a hotel in Singapore, keeping a close eye on the head of the Bangladesh Army, General Aziz Ahmed. Uh,
2: one of the cars that dropped the brother, or the brother's general. wife. Oh, wow. no, the one that came before. The guys that were waiting for the general.
3: It's okay. just parked right here.
1: General Aziz is here on official business, attending a conference on disaster relief. Holding official meetings. But that's not why we're in Singapore. It's the unofficial meetings that interest us. And where he's about to lead us will solve a mystery more than 20 years in the making. This is Al Jazeera Investigates. I'm Kevin Hurton.
3: And I'm Will Thorne. This is part three of All the Prime Minister's Men.
1: As Bangladesh's democracy unravels, we're charting the story of a Dhaka crime family, now at the center of power. They are known as the Ahmed clan. Four brothers, Aziz, Anis, Haris, and Joseph. Aziz is the big man, the respectable brother. Unlike his brothers, he joined the army and rose through the ranks, quite spectacularly, to become chief of army staff. It's the highest post in the whole country. And it's a feat that's made even more remarkable considering the fairly large skeletons he has in his closet, namely his three criminal brothers. You see, Anis, Haris, and Joseph, all notorious and feared gangsters, were convicted of killing a man on a busy street in the capital Dhaka in 1996. The man they killed was said to be a political opponent of the woman who would soon become prime minister of Bangladesh, Sheikh Hasina. Now, we'll get into how she fits into this in a moment, but let's just finish with the brothers. After the shooting, the three gangster brothers were charged and convicted, but only one of them, Joseph, went to jail. The other two, Anis and Haris, fled the country. Now, in part two of all the prime minister's men, we found one of them, middle brother Haris, living in Budapest under a false name. But what about the other fugitive brother, Anis? He's still out there. And that's what brings our surveillance team to Singapore. Now, Will, you helped run that surveillance team. We were hoping that General Aziz might lead us right to him.
3: Yeah, that's right. We had received information that General Aziz might be seeing his brothers. So we found the hotel where the general was staying in Singapore. And then when his official duties were finished, our surveillance team follows him. These guys are going to leave. Yes,
2: they're all in the cars getting ready to leave. Stick with them and don't worry about us. We'll, we'll, we'll keep, keep, keep out as much as we can.
3: The general goes to the airport. There was still no sign of the brothers, so we stick with him and get on the same
4: flight. Welcome aboard our flight bound for Kuala Lumpur. And at this moment in time, we're still waiting for the last few more passengers. And once everyone is on board, we should be in our pretty shortly, in approximately five minutes from now.
3: The general and his wife were the last two passengers to get on board. They fly from Singapore to Malaysia.
2: Right time to Kuala Lumpur, close to 45 minutes.
3: One of our team is in the seat behind the general. Really, we see him texting somebody called
1: Hassan Hungry. Remember, Muhammad Hassan is the name on the fake passport that Brother Haris now uses. Yes, oh, morning.
3: I I can read his messages. Oh my God.
1: And sure enough, we spot Haris waiting for the general at the airport in Kuala Lumpur along with his younger brother, Joseph. But there's still no sign of his fourth brother, Anis. And at that moment, we lose General Aziz. The general didn't come
4: through. Then where is he gone? They took him a different way. Right. That's why Haris is here waiting for. Like, where's my brother? Yeah.
1: The general left through the diplomatic channel, so the surveillance team has to improvise. They follow Haris and Joseph instead.
2: He's on their tail. He called me.
3: We tail the brothers to a downtown district of Kuala Lumpur.
4: Get ready to go a bit, huh? OK, you tell me. You just prime the key. When I, I say go, see you see? just go.
3: Harris yeah. and Joseph enter an upmarket gated house. Later, General Aziz arrives. He steps out of a BMW SUV. There are several men around him. That looks like a very young
4: girl.
2: I think that's a bodyguard or something.
3: Then, we see him. Are you ready? A man emerges from the house, and we identify him from police photographs as Anis Ahmed, the eldest of the Ahmed clan. Okay. Oh, my God. Yup, we track down the second brother on the run. Three convicted killers having a bit of a family reunion in Malaysia.
1: You might remember Anis from part one. When the brothers were young, he was the toughest of the Ahmed clan street gang that ruled the Muhammadpur district in Dhaka. For years during the 1980s and 90s, they controlled that area like a mafia.
3: So we discovered that Anis, who jumped bail in Bangladesh and fled his murder trial, has built a prosperous life in Malaysia. We researched the property records and found that the house where they were staying is owned by three people. Haris, the brother who lives in Budapest, Anis, and his son, Asif Ahmed.
1: All right, so fast forward a few days. The surveillance team is still outside that house in Kuala Lumpur. The cars get ready to leave. Our surveillance team prepares to follow.
0: They're going to move.
3: Okay, are you ready?
0: Once they pass our lady, you go first.
1: You can keep up with them.
3: Yeah, you go. Okay, go. Go. General Aziz and some of his brothers spend the evening at the Bangladesh High Commission.
1: So I guess this meeting isn't so unofficial after all. He's bringing his fugitive brothers to an event at the Bangladesh High Commission in Kuala Lumpur?
3: A fleet of cars from the High Commission escorts the convoy. Throughout the investigation, we've seen General Aziz being quite brazen about his brothers even at events where there are officials representing the Bangladesh state. I think it shows how much power he has.
1: This all goes back to that bond that appears to exist between General Aziz and Prime Minister Sheikh Hasina. In Hungary, the Bangladesh businessman, Sami, who also worked as our undercover reporter, got to know General Aziz and his brother, Haris.
4: A number of times, Haris has stated that Sheikh Hasina remains in debt. We have sacrificed our life, we have sacrificed our youth for her. We'll see how she rewards us. Also, General Aziz mentioned to me that his brother's political life have been destroyed because of his devotion towards the party. And the later acts proved how Sheikh Hasina has rewarded his family. Here's General
1: Aziz in secretly recorded tapes that the investigative unit obtained. He's talking about an arrangement he claims he made with Hasina before he got the top job.
4: The Honorable One met me and said, Mr. Aziz, about you. I have given this a lot of thought, and there is no alternative to this. For the General's
1: career to advance, his brother's murder convictions would need to be dealt with.
4: According to the prime minister's plan, all these different things that the brothers have done to others need to be cleared before my appointment. She has discussed this with me.
1: General Aziz is claiming that Hasina made a deal to quash his
3: brother's murder convictions. The brothers did protect her in the past. They assassinated a political opponent and in different ways they paid a price. But we've no evidence linking the killing to Sheikh Hasina.
1: So we can't confirm that she owes any debt. But there's no doubt that the Ahmed clan has done extremely well under Hassina's rule.
3: In 2008, General Aziz's military career is floundering. But when Sheikh Hassina is re-elected, everything changes.
4: Here's Sami again. From the beginning of 2009 till now, it's like in 12 years, his total career, it just skyrocketed. So General Aziz rises through the army
3: ranks, and in 2012, Sheikh Hasina appoints him head of the Border Guards Bangladesh, or the BGB. It's the country's longest standing uniform force, and it looks after domestic security, but with a chequered history in terms of corruption. The 2014 elections
1: are coming up, but Sheikh Hasina's government is in trouble. The BGB gets involved to oversee the vote. It was a very crucial moment. It was very possible at that time that
0: the League government could have fallen.
1: David Bergman is an investigative journalist who lived in Bangladesh and writes on human rights and political corruption.
0: Aziz was uh, head of the BGB and his role was to quiet the opposition, prevent them taking control of the streets, preventing them being a political force which the government couldn't deal with.
3: Sheikh Hasina won a third premiership in 2014. And Aziz has commented that his forces played a role in the country's democracy. He was very proud of that. And he said that he was the one who handed those elections to
0: Sheikh Hasina. In
1: 2018, General Aziz becomes head of the army. In December of that year, Sheikh Hasina calls for another general election.
0: Sheikh Sina obviously wanted to ensure that the election was going to go her way. It was clearly subsequently rigged, as we all discovered. And the army played a very important role in giving the impression that this was a free and fair election.
3: But they weren't free and fair. The leader of the opposition was jailed, others were detained and never seen again. Brad Adams is the head of Asia section at Human Rights Watch.
2: Sheikh Sina has been very, very upfront and transparent about her goal of destroying the opposition. She's basically trying to brand herself and her family as being synonymous with the state.
1: So the army are getting more and more involved in politics. And General Aziz is almost acting like the prime minister's henchman, delivering electoral success and quashing those who oppose the prime minister. Our investigation reveals extraordinary information about the way the armed forces under General Aziz gathered information about their targets. We've obtained
3: a contract signed the same month the disease took over the army. Our undercover
4: reporter Sami picks up the story. Back in February 2019, I was contacted by a friend of mine who was serving with the DGFI. The DGFI is
3: Bangladesh's military
4: intelligence. He asked me that a group of four Bangladeshi officers are visiting Budapest. They contacted me and I invited them for dinner. I went to the meeting point and I greeted them. There were four Bangladeshi intelligence officers and another man. He introduced himself as a contractor for some surveillance equipment company. And we all went inside the restaurant. I was sitting in the middle and the, the five people were on both sides of the table. They were talking about surveillance on general people. And that is when I decided to turn on my recorder.
2: My company is based in Singapore.
4: I'm from Sovereign System, so
2: I'm the selling agent. We can supply a Wi-Fi interception, uh, as well as
0: cellular, as well as uh, video surveillance.
3: That's James Maloney,
4: a middleman for the deal. And what I could understand is Bangladesh army was procuring uh, some devices, some spyware. They can conduct surveillance on general people's mobile phone. Uh, They can monitor their phone activities. And these four gentlemen who are visiting the country, they were sent to Hungary to take delivery of this device. So we have quite a wide variety of products, but all all
2: aimed at the same customer base. So so I work with different companies in different countries. We are the main distributor for PIC6 in South Asia. So
1: PIC6 is the manufacturer. Maloney is the middleman. The contract contains the condition that the company and the Bangladesh military sign a non-disclosure agreement.
4: We're very careful about our public profile. The technology is very, I don't know, it's very aggressive and intrusive.
1: This is a secret deal. It's
2: from Israel? It's from Israel, yeah. So we don't advertise the technology.
3: The manufacturer is an Israeli company. And one reason they don't advertise that technology is because Bangladesh doesn't even recognise the state of Israel. And it says it won't do until there is a settlement that gives equal rights to Palestinians. It's even written in the Bangladesh Passport that its nationals can't travel to Israel. And because trade between the two countries is illegal, well, that means that this deal could be seen as a breach of Bangladesh law. Okay, so
1: this feels like a record scratch moment. Do we have a record scratch? There we go. Because this seems like the height of hypocrisy. When you're saying, we won't recognize this country exists, but we have no problem buying spyware from it that will help our regime maintain power. And by the way, it was six months before a general election where Sheikh Hasina's victory was so lopsided, the New York Times editorial board called it farcical, and the U.S. Department of State noted credible reports of harassment, intimidation, and violence.
3: It's important to put this into context, because... All of this is happening as Sheikh Hasina is facing increasing opposition from religious groups in Bangladesh. She's already bound the traditional Islamist party, and religious groups are angry about what's happening to Muslims next door in India, where Prime Minister Narendra Modi is seen as Islamophobic. The relationship
1: between Sheikh Hasina's Awami League and India goes all the way back to Bangladesh's war for independence. Here's Brad Adams again. In
2: 1971, India came in and um, finished the war they defeated the Pakistan army, they defeated Pakistan militias that were butchering people, and they helped the country achieve its independence and stopped the carnage. The Awami League has always seen India as its chief benefactor internationally. This has become more complicated now because India has a prime minister, Narendra Modi, who presides over a political party the BJP, that is pretty avowedly anti-Muslim. And, of course, Bangladesh is a majority-Muslim country. The BJP came to power on an anti-Muslim platform. The political discourse within the BJP was talking about Bengalis in the way that the Myanmar authorities talked about the Rohingya or the way that some far-right members of the Republican Party of the United States talk about African Americans their version of the N-word. It's a
1: precarious position for the leader of a Muslim-majority nation to be in. Bangladesh's chief benefactor, India, is run by a party that is thriving by marginalizing Muslims. Meanwhile, Bangladesh appears to be doing secret deals with Israel, a country it won't even recognize, to purchase technology that can be used to suppress the rights of its
3: citizens and undermine the democracy. Our undercover reporter, Sami also spoke about two men who came from Israel. They didn't introduce themselves, but he thought they were either active or former Israeli intelligence officers.
4: So I went to their apartment the next day and I saw that there were two guys in the apartment, two Middle Eastern-looking guys, who were showing them how to operate this machine and they were intercepting calls in Hungary...
3: So you have two Israeli surveillance experts, possibly former agents, on Hungarian soil using interception equipment. This is illegal. James Maloney was also
4: there and he saw the danger. And the contractor was also present and he asked them, please, don't do this. If they understand we are doing it, then it will be a big problem. And they tried to intercept some two or three phone calls, and then they switched off the device. And then they said, okay, it is better that we do it in our warehouse later on.
1: So how exactly will the Bangladesh government use this spyware? Known as an IMSI catcher or a stingray, Elliot Bendinelli from Privacy International has been tracking this powerful technology for years.
3: So it is capable of intercepting traffic If you're sitting at a nearby coffee or visiting your friend and you happen to be in the area of this type of devices, your communications are going to be potentially listened at, potentially recorded. And these devices don't just monitor phones. They can also take control of them. Then comes interference. So the ability to change the content of a text message or to spoof the identity of someone and send a text message to one of the phone. So the thing with this technology, it is highly intrusive, and it can hardly ever be compliant with human rights.
1: Meanwhile, back at the dinner table, the middleman, James Maloney, emphasizes the need for the spyware deal to be secret.
4: I could never
3: write to somebody and say, Bangladesh Army is my customer for this equipment. You you cannot do that, because the equipment that, that we sell to you
2: is it's quite intrusive you know
3: so
0: you don't want the public to know to know that you're using
4: that equipment so nobody none of the none of the none of the the public will know what the government is buying
3: so what would a national army be doing with equipment like this here's Elliot Bendinelli again knowledge is power so if you know what people are saying where they're going to meet up what they're planning to do you can know a lot of things And, and then you have the power to act
2: I have talked to officials at the Ministry of Home Affairs who have been very clear that they are listening to people's conversations without a judicial warrant, uh, routinely.
1: Brad Adams from Human Rights Watch has been covering Bangladesh for decades.
2: They are using all uh, available modern technology. They have passed legislation to um, control the internet. They are confusing peaceful expression with incitement to violence. We don't see human rights groups having the same space as they've had, had before. They're under constant threats. Bangladesh is hurtling towards uh, one-party rule.
3: If a politician is steering a country to become more authoritarian, he or she needs a loyal security force. At the same time, the leaders of the police and army become empowered. We found evidence of this in Mohammedpur, where the Ahmed clan grew up.
2: My name is Mehdi Hassan
3: Munna. I'm a Bangladeshi. I'm just last 10 years I'm living in Germany. Mahadi is now in exile, but grew up in Mohammedpur. He says his family had been on the wrong side of the Ahmed clan for decades. So this is where the story once again
1: comes full circle to part one of this series, where Joseph, Haris, and Anis Ahmed were
3: convicted of killing Mustafa Rahman. Mahadi is Mustafa Rahman's nephew. I remember it, so I am uh, 10 to 12 years old on that time.
1: He went to a nearby field to play soccer with his friends. About the same time, the Ahmed clan confronted Mustafa in front of Mahadi's father's house.
2: 15 to 20 minutes later, I heard the bullet.
1: Mustafa was left for dead with nine bullet wounds.
2: We lost our beloved uncle. I saw first that my father was crying. And my cousins were Luluzi's father. My auntie, she lost her husband.
3: 25 years later, Mahati claims the Ahmed clan is targeting another of his uncles. Mizan Rahman has been a politician in Dhaka for more than 20 years. He was arrested for money laundering by a paramilitary unit created to combat corruption. Mizan says he's innocent. Mahadi believes the arrest is clearing the path for Anis Ahmed's son, Asif, to become a politician in the city. He says General Aziz's fingerprints are all over the arrest.
2: And he want to put off his nephew, Asif. Remember,
1: Asif, as we discovered is one of the owners of that gated house in Kuala Lumpur where the brothers had that reunion. We found Asif campaigning in Muhammadpur, where the brothers grew up. And um, he's standing on an anti-corruption ticket.
4: The way our prime minister is raging the battle against corruption will feel many people with such a dread that god willing they would not dare to engage in corruption
3: so while anis's son is launching a political career in mohammadpur the notorious rapid action battalion known as rab arrest one of his political rivals
2: and my question is why rab is involving such a great things i can tell you people in bangladesh are scared the death of RAB.
1: That's Brad Adams again from Human Rights
2: Watch. RAB has been used by successive governments for political operations. They've always used lethal force as their preferred method. The government wants to keep using RAB as a way of going after their political opponents.
1: Remember, Brother Haris was caught bragging to Sammy, our undercover reporter, about how he has RAB at his disposal.
4: Rab is there, others are there. We are making them do all our work. My gangsters are rab. I don't need thugs. These are my thugs. They pick someone up and detain them. They make money, I make money. It's a straightforward deal.
1: And it gets worse because Harris claims he has the police on his side too. He admitted to being involved in a network of corruption Placing policemen in jobs, which means they stay loyal to him.
4: Police work as our thugs. Who needs regular thugs? Whoever has links with the police, whoever has the blessings of the administration, they are the real thug.
1: And then there's this. In April of 2020, the man who used to be the head of RAB, Benazir Ahmed, no relation, switched jobs. He's now the country's top policeman. Haris says that allows him to operate without even having to get his brother involved.
4: Why would I unnecessarily get army protection? Do you get my calculation? Others are there, the head of the police is there, we don't need anyone else.
2: There are two sets of rules in Bangladesh. Bangladeshis know this very well. People who have connections get away with murder, and people who don't have connections are murdered, and nothing happens to the people who kill them.
1: And that brings us back to the Ahmed clan, the murder they committed, and the impunity they've enjoyed while Sheikh Asina is in office. It's an unlikely relationship, to say the least, between a Dhaka street gang and the current prime minister of the country. So, let's go through where they
3: are, brother by brother, all the prime minister's men. The oldest brother, Anis, is thriving in Malaysia, despite his status as a fugitive. He owns a large house with his son, Asif, and brother Haris, otherwise known as Muhammad Hassan. Haris is building a property empire in Europe, despite being on Dakar police's most wanted list. But he might be breathing a bit easier, since his name suddenly disappeared from the Interpol's list of most wanted criminals.
1: Joseph is the youngest, and you could say he was the unluckiest of
3: the Ahmed brothers. After all, he was the only one of them to serve time in prison. And then this. Right before General Aziz's promotion to army chief in 2018, Joseph's death sentence was commuted. The former death row inmate was pardoned. He's a free man. We later got video that shows
1: exactly how privileged a life the Ahmed brothers enjoy under this government. The event? It's being held on the grounds of the army headquarters in the Bangladesh capital of Dhaka, a very prestigious place. It's a high-profile, high-society wedding.
2: Oh my
1: the bride walks along a red carpet in slow motion, dressed in gold and flanked by a military band. The groom is also in gold silk. He's beaming. They've spared no expense. And who do you think is the father
3: of the groom? It's General Aziz Ahmed. There he was, having the time of his life. He was wearing a bright red camise and dancing and just having a ball.
1: We've shown the images of the wedding to some of the contributors who have appeared throughout this podcast, just to get their reaction, especially to who else was at the wedding.
0: How is there and he's there, these two men are absconding from a conviction for murder.
1: That's David Bergman, the writer on Bangladesh.
0: And the fact that they're in Bangladesh now, at a hugely important social wedding in public, is pretty extraordinary.
3: Another man is there wearing a blue nery jacket.
0: So that's Joseph. Well, he is legally allowed to be at this wedding. He was pardoned by the president. But that just means that all three brothers who were convicted for murder are present at this wedding in a kind of shameless
2: manner.
1: Here's Brad Adams again from Human Rights Watch.
2: Aziz has no rhythm. You'll never know who paid for the wedding, probably, but um, the implication being that um, he paid for it, at least part of it. That's a big deal.
3: It
1: looks like anyone who's anyone is in attendance. David Bergman again.
0: And the president of Bangladesh. Crazy. Crazy. I mean, does he know that Harris is... These two absconding criminals are there? Present
1: at this wedding? It's the president of Bangladesh who pardoned Joseph, and he's at the wedding.
3: It's an extraordinary display, given the general's sensitive position with regards to his brothers. Tasneem Khalil, the journalist we spoke to in part one and two, was nearly speechless when we showed him the video.
4: So, one of the top gangsters of Bangladesh is attending a wedding inside Dhaka Cantonment, the military bases, and his brother is the army chief. I mean, well. <clears throat>
0: It only goes to the power of the chief of army staff and uh, a sense of immunity that he has, that he can get away with it.
1: Anis's son, Asif, the emerging politician, who, by the way, is campaigning on that anti-corruption slate, is also there.
3: You know, this reminds me of that Gangnam-style video. And for a large man, he's moving really well.
1: He's wearing gold. Both his clothes and his jewelry and dark shades He's got a ton of swagger.
4: The next generation is properly in place. And if the same regime continues, we can see that the second generation of these people would take place and turn the country in a totally mafia state.
1: It's only fitting to give the last word in all the prime minister's men to Sami, the Bangladeshi businessman who put himself at great personal risk in speaking out.
4: This is the least I can do for my country. And I know that there will be barge of allegations against me. They will come after me, heavy, with all that they can. They will fabricate stories against me. But I'm not really afraid. I knew what I'm signing up for. And by seeing me, if the people of Bangladesh... And people of the world are motivated to stand against such tyrants like Aziz, such corrupt officials like General Aziz. And if even if 10 people take stand, if 10 people comes out with allegations or with proof and expose corrupt people, then I would feel good.
1: And that'll do it for this episode of Al Jazeera Investigates. The investigative unit contacted everyone else involved in this story, including Bangladesh's prime minister, home minister, police commissioner, the then head of the Rapid Action Battalion, and all four Ahmed brothers, inviting them to respond to its findings. No one provided a response. James Maloney told us that Sovereign Systems had not been the company that contracted with the Bangladesh Army, but said nothing regarding his role as the middleman in the illegal spyware deal. This episode was produced by me, Kevin Hurton, and edited by Craig Pennington. Leo Safayanis does the final sound mix. Hassan Romani is our person in charge of social media. The show's executive producer is Joe DeFrias, And Phil Reese is Al Jazeera's director of investigative journalism. And remember, don't forget to check out our new website, AJIUnit.com, and follow us on Twitter, at AJIUnit. And of course, subscribe to this podcast, because we are just getting started. We have more of this kind of content to come.